Thank you very much, Karen. Thank you very much, Ashley. So we think about being in Christ, having Christ at work in us. As we interact with the written Christ, Scripture, we can be doers of God's Word and not hearers only. Last week we looked at men, and this morning we want to look at womanhood. Before we interact with Scripture, I would pose a question to you men. In light of what we discussed last week, were you a doer of God's Word? Did you take what we discussed and some possible applications and in some way apply it? Anyone want to acknowledge that you attempted to by just waving your hand? So, you know, I attempted to. <laughs> Anyone willing to acknowledge that? <clears throat> okay, I see a couple of hands, you know, going, again, encouraging you to not merely hear, but to do God's word. This morning we want to deal with what is womanhood. And as we begin, I want you to observe what I'm doing to this poinsettia. I'm going to pull it out. And what I'm doing is you know, basically knocking the ground off of it. Now, can anyone tell me what I just did to that plant? Killed it. Now, think twice before you stop with killed it. We'll come back to the plant in a few minutes. Here I have a piece of 8.5 by 11 white paper. Now, I'm going to do something to this white paper. I want you to tell me what I'm doing to it. Making a mess. <laughs> what else did I do? Destroyed it. Tore it in little pieces. Again, think about that. But pose a question, another question. Something going the wrong way. My question would be, when is a person free? When is a person free? When is a person free? Pardon? You would say surrender. Is that spelled right? When we surrender. How else would you describe freedom for an individual? Obedient. Again, my writing's not the best in the world. Can I pose another question? When is a man free? When is a man free? When the Lord comes into his life and accepts him. Okay, Lord in life. Let me pose another question. When 
is a woman free. When is a woman free? What I did to this poinsettia is I took away its freedom. You say, I killed it. I took away its freedom. How did I take away its freedom? I took it away from what it was designed to do. It's designed to live in soil and live. Maybe I can revive it. We'll see. I took the paper's freedom away in the sense that it can no longer be used what it was designed to do. And as you think about men, men are free when they live in the severe for which they were created. Men are created to lead, to love. They're free when they live in that severe. When they're passive, they're not free. They're slaves. A woman is free when she lives in the severe for which she was created. A person is free when they live, live in the severe for which they were created. We know that we're created to live in fellowship with God. When Christ comes into our life, we become free because now we can live in relationship to him. As men, we're free when we fulfill our biblical role in marriage and the same thing for women. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Be reading some of the same scriptures that we read last week. And again, I don't think there's anything wrong in repeating scripture. As we read together from Genesis 1, I'll begin with verse 26. Genesis 1 and verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male. In female, he created them. So God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the field, and all the birds of the air, and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give to you every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now keep in mind that as we look at this portion of scripture that in light of Genesis 1 and womanhood that Genesis 1 is speaking of both male and female both being created in the image of God both being created in the image of God both being equally endowed and equally valuable both being unique and special. I would emphasize that both are created in the image of God. A woman is not lesser than man. It also speaks of male and female calling, both male and female being involved in being fruitful, 
multiplying and filling the earth, both male and female being involved in subduing the earth, both male and female involved in ruling over the earth. The passage also speaks of a very important social structure. Now look at chapter 2. Begin reading with verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Just notice a couple things from the text. Eve was created second. I didn't say inferior or anything else. I just said second. Notice that Eve is given her role second. She is to be a suitable helper. In verse 18, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. The middle of verse 20, but for Adam no suitable helper was found. Notice also that Adam names Eve. In verse 23, she shall be called woman. He's fulfilling his role. Naming involves leadership and so on. Now notice in chapter 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open." And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. God created Eve, God created the woman to be a helper to Adam. Notice in verse 1 
that the tempter came to the woman. A reversal, if you please, of God's order, God's design. God spoke to Adam, but the serpent came to Eve, or the woman. The tempter came to the woman. Notice that Eve takes the lead. The woman said to the serpent, you meet from the trees in the garden and so on. She did not look to her leader. Notice that Eve takes Adam's responsibility, in essence, rejecting her role as helper. The woman said to the serpent, we meet from the trees in the garden and so on. She is to be a helper to the man, not the leader. And notice that Eve is deceived. That is clearly stated in the New Testament. Now I want you to notice that in the text, the deception on the part of Eve comes as a result of stepping out of her role as a helper. Eve's deception comes after she stepped out of her role as a helper. I've heard the statement a number of times that women are more easily deceived than men. I'm not going to debate that, but when a woman steps out of her role as a helper and tries to take the lead, she's opening herself to deception. Just as Adam stepped out of his role as a leader and then he opened himself to being passive. For the man and for the woman, when they stepped out of what God designed them to do, they opened themselves to something that was not good and profitable. Notice also that Eve does accept her choice or her decision to be deceived in verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She does say I was deceived, but she doesn't say I stepped out of my role as a helper. Eve's curse is based upon her usurping God's created order. And verse 16, to the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. She was to be instrumental in giving birth, but now there's increased pain in childbearing. I've never been through that. My wife would communicate that it's not always a pleasant experience, if ever. Part of the curse. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. She stepped out of a role, and there was a consequence, just as Adam stepped out of a role, and there was a consequence. Eve's deception unleashes the destructive curse of abuse by women. 
Men are responsible for what they do to women. But if you look down through the pages of history, women, girls have been abused over and over. And as I said last week, I could ask for a show of a hand. How many of you have not been touched in some way by a woman or a girl being abused in some manner? And probably very, very few hands would go up because most of us have been touched in some way. It goes back to Genesis chapter 3. Notice that Eve is renamed by Adam, a continuing sign of being a helper even after the fall. In Genesis 3 and verse 20, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. We could look at some other scriptures, but in light of this passage in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, let's take a few moments to consider some practical applications in contrasting a godly view of women versus an ungodly view of women. God designed a woman to be a helper. That's when a woman is free. See, the plant is no longer free because it's not living in the area for which it was designed. A woman was designed to be a helper. On the ungodly side would be when she tries to take the leadership. A woman was designed to complement. Now think about that. A woman was designed to complement a man. Designed to complement, not compete. See, a husband and wife, a man and a woman, are to complement one another. They're not to compete with one another. It's God's design. She was going to be a pseudo-helper. She's going to complement. She's going to be profitable to Adam, one who follows Godly, on the ungodly side, one who gives orders. On the godly side, one who is willing to wait. One who is, on the ungodly side, impatient. Ladies, how many of you have ever got impatient with a man who is just seeming to take forever to act? I see some nonverbal and I see some raised hands. You ladies just never learn that the men always are on time. I say that jokingly, please. <laughs> you know, waiting versus impatient. A woman was designed to be a helper, thus helping him think, to help him feel, and so on. It's the way she was designed. Guys, don't make decisions on your own. Bring your helper into play. That's why God gave her. <coughs> You're responsible. You're to lead. You're to make sure the decision is made. But bring your helper into play. <coughs> on the lighter side, I was 
up to see Amy in General Hospital, you know, a few days back. And uh, I could tell Karen just kind of looking at me, and I thought, you know, what, what's going on here? I said to Karen, do I look okay? She said, you'll pass. <laughs> I said, now my wife said the tie would pull it together. And she said, that's true. And the reason I even mentioned that to her is because years ago when Dan was in John Hines in rehab after his brain bleed and so on, I went to visit Dan and Ruth Ann was down with her dad, I think at the time. And Karen said to me, Pastor, that's the third day that you've been here that you have the same outfit on. I said, I know, Karen. Ruth Ann's not here. It's the only thing I can remember that goes together. <laughs> I need a helper. And that's in a lighter area, maybe. I need a helper. That's what Ruth Ann is designed for. Just to continue that one step further, if Ruth Ann were to pass away before me, I don't know what I'll do. Some of you ladies will probably say, boy, you look bad today. But now think about life overall. Made to help think, help them feel, help them live well. There have been many decisions that Ruth Ann and I made that she'll bring into play something that I've never seen. And as we were raising our children, she would bring into play things that I would have never seen. The ungodly just thinks and feels herself. Well, my husband's not going to, so I'm just going to whatever. On the godly side, a woman as a helper is human glory. On the ungodly side is what I want. Our world talks about leader, follower, and saying leader is better than follower. Scripture in no way addresses that because it's not even a valid question. Who's more important, the leader or follower? It's not a valid question. Both are essential for the image of God to be communicated, for the image of God to be lived out. So sometimes questions come up in our world today that are not even relevant. Now think about the ungodly versus the godly as it relates to living. If you raise children, if you're in the process of raising children, this whole issue of leadership and helper comes out very, very strongly. Dad's just letting the kids do whatever, and moms are. Not going to do anything? And finally, she says, Dan, aren't you going to do anything? Oh, they're fine. A little bit later, you know, you get the evil eyeball or whatever you want to call it. And, Dan, aren't you going to do anything? In my time. See, that can be a real conflict. Playing out God's roles. How about decisions? Oh, we got to make this decision. What are you going to do, Dan? I don't know. We'll, we'll decide. 
We'll get there in time. Again, can be real difficult. Tonight we'll seek to answer more fully, what is a wife to do when her husband is being passive and not leading? How should she respond? Now, a word of counsel to you ladies, and I'm saying this from a man's point of view. The more a woman attempts to play the role of the Holy Spirit, or leader, the more a man is tempted to dig in and resist. The more a woman attempts to play the role of the Holy Spirit or try to lead, the more a man is tempted to dig in and resist and to be passive. Over the years, Ruth Hannah said some things to me, and I mentally would say, go ahead, but I'm not going to. So she'd say some more, and I would think, say all you want. I wouldn't tell her to say all you want, but I'm not going to. She would say some more, and I would say, well, if that's the way you want to be, fine, but I won't. I'm saying that from a man's point of view. Ladies, when you try to make a man lead and act, most of the time we just dig in and say no, even though we never say it. See, fear, women battle with fear, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3. What will happen if I don't get my husband to correct our son, we'll lose him. A gentle and a quiet spirit lets the Holy Spirit work. Ruth Ann would testify that at times I can be passive. Sometimes I can be stubborn better known as just stick to You know, it has a better terminology, better ring to it. And at times she had try, has tried to get me to act and, you know, pushed me and pushed me and jabbed me and if she wants to do that, I'll show her who's boss around here. I just won't do it. And she has come to the point and has said to me different times, Dan, I'm to be your helper and I want to be your helper. I will share my thinking with you, and then I'm just going to step back and pray and let the Holy Spirit do a work on you. And I said to Ruth Ann, you don't need to tell me things twice. Just tell me once, and then let God work on me. She's got her way more than she thought she ever would. <laughs> Not that she's doing it, but... Letting the spirit work, a gentle and a quiet spirit. Ladies, if you want a passive husband who does not lead with wisdom, then step out and live on the right-hand side rather than the left-hand side. You say, well, then it may never get done, or nothing may ever happen. That may be true. I understand that. But which would you sooner have? Living in God's design with the Spirit of God working in you 
or stepping out of God's design, trying to do what God has not designed you to do without the Spirit helping you, rather convicting you that you've stepped out of the design. See, when we live in God's design, even if things are not going the way we think, and maybe the way they should in light of Scripture, you can look to Christ and to Christ alone and say, God, I'm really hurting. My husband is not leading. He's not doing what he's supposed to do in light of Scripture. And God says, I've given you the counsel of the Holy Spirit. Let me work on him. I've given you Christ as your life. Let me work on him. But God, it's not fast enough. Let me work on him. Now, that doesn't mean a woman never says anything. That's not where I'm coming from. I'm talking when you step outside of your role as a helper. We'll touch more on that tonight. As we wrap it up, I want to show a contrast What does a fearful woman teach her sons and daughters? A fearful woman who is, you know, striving to step outside of her role, live outside of her role, you know, and so on, teaching her sons and daughters that men are dumb. Men are jerks. They're no good. They're just stupid. If you have to marry one because you have to do it, but they're dumb. Men don't take responsibility should be word responsibility there men don't take responsibility that would be true of sons and daughters I guess there it is men don't take responsibility teaching that men are jerks teaching sons that they're they're jerks and daughters teaching their daughters that men are jerks teaching sons that Women are superior, teaching daughters that women are superior. See, the issue of superiority is not in Scripture. (laughs) It's not there. Both are essential for the image of God. The whole issue of superiority or inferiority is foreign to Scripture. Men are necessary evils. Teaching daughters, men are necessary evils. Teaching sons, don't try to lead. You're a jerk, you're stupid, don't try to lead. You never can. Teaching a daughter, expect nothing from men. They're just jerks, they don't lead anyways, they're dumb. (coughs) Teaching a son to be passive. Teaching a daughter that you must control the men in your life. Teaching a son, don't take responsibility Teaching a daughter, submission is terrible. Teaching a son, live for the here and now. Teaching a daughter, look good outwardly. Teaching a son, to be attached to mom. Teaching a daughter, to be domineering and controlling. Say, Pastor, where'd you come up with all of them? Observing scripture and observing life. I'm talking patterns here. And please understand, 
that in no way am I talking about male-dominating females. No way am I talking about males controlling females. I'm talking about a man, males and females, living out the image of God. When I speak unkindly to my wife, I have stepped out of my role as a leader and a lover. And when she says, Dan, we will, she has stepped out of her role as a helper, as a companion. So much of what we are bombarded with comes from living in our broken world. And we bring up issues that rightfully need to be brought up because we live in a broken world. I'm not to lord it over, Ruth Ann. To love her as Christ loved the church. I'm not to dictate to her. I'm to lead her. She's not to try to control me. She's to be a helper. She's not to try to cram something down my throat. She's to be a companion. And as um, the male and female fulfill their roles, they picture the image of God. I'll be the first to admit I haven't arrived. I think Ruth Ann would admit that she has not arrived. But let's be people who are in process of moving towards greater freedom because we're the plant that is living in the soil for which God created us. We're the piece of paper that is whole, designed to be written on, rather than stepping outside of the role for which God designed us. See, I'm free when I lead, when I love, when I care for my wife. Ruth Ann is free when she's a helper, a companion, who is seeking to compliment me because that is our design. If you were to read, and I think Ruth Ann would be the same, my confessions or Ruth Ann's confessions to the Lord over the years that we have written out in our journals, a fair number of those confessions are, God, I really didn't lead Ruth Ann yesterday. I didn't love her like I should have. And here's what my thinking was, God. I want to have a changing heart. You could read Ruth Ann's journal and you would find that, you know, I had a hard time responding to Dan today. I just thought he was kind of passive and taking it easy. But I'm not responsible for what he does. I'm responsible for how I respond. And in the process, both of us have grown. See, my mother-in-law was the one who said that both of us were stubborn. I was never stubborn. I just had a lot of stick to No, I was stubborn. Ruthann was stubborn. She said, you're both so stubborn, you'll never make it. And you know what we said? We'll show her. We'll be so stubborn to show her that we will make it. 
But God has dealt with her stubbornness. God has dealt with my stubbornness. So I think I've progressed in being a responsible, loving leader. I said progressed. I didn't say arrived. And Ruth Ann has grown and matured in being a helper, a companion who compliments me. We're in process as humans. And if you're single, you're younger, you can pray for men and women, particularly in the context of marriage, that they would be able to fulfill the role for which God designed them. If you're a young lady, I would encourage you to be building into your life the qualities that tie in with being a helper, one who compliments, and so on. And I might say, even though you ladies may struggle at times, Sarah, who said to her husband, take Hagar and have children. And we, we today are dealing with the consequences of Sarah's choice. Adam was responsible for what he did, but Sarah is held up as a model. In 1 Peter chapter 3, of one who should be followed in terms of a gentle and quiet spirit. My point being, we struggle, we may blow it, but God's grace goes far beyond our blowing it. And I say that to you ladies as I said that to men last week. We struggle, we fail, we blow it, we do well, and then we struggle some more. It's not the end of the road. It's another opportunity to experience God's grace, to mature and walking with him. Father, I pray for the <clears throat> ladies, girls represented this morning, that you would encourage them. May they grasp in a growing manner your design what true freedom is for them. What it means to live out the image of God in their lives. Encourage them, Father. May they understand your power that is at work in them and how you want to help them live out your image, your design for them. May they not become discouraged in well-doing, but find encouragement in Christ. And Father, whether it be men or women, boys or girls, help us as a body of believers here to humbly surrender to Christ day by day as we together Reflect the image of God in our relationships. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.